And please take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. We're continuing our series on what it is to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And as we come to this text, we want to understand authority because that's what's shared here in this text. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to always say, man, I can't wait until I'm older. No one will tell me what to do. I don't have to do what my teacher says, what my parents say. I'm going to have it all my way when I get older. When that age hits, will someone please let me know? We all have to function in a chain of authority. And I believe that's by design because God is a God of order. And order requires a chain of command, a chain of authority. And that's what we're going to see today as we look in our text. Now this comes in the context of the third chapter which has been talking to us about the importance of living as the people of God. And it has shared with us how we're to treat one another, how we are to be kind and compassionate and loving and gentle and patient, forbearing one another. All of those thoughts have been brought out in the texts that we've looked into. But as we come to this part of the text, we find that God addresses the areas of our life where we spend the most time. That's either in the home or in the workplace. And I would say to you, the way I reflect God in either of these will significantly impact the way that I'm putting into practice the things that we're called to in the first part of this third chapter. So let's look at the text. Let's see what God has to say in this text about authority and that whole exercise of authority that God has in the home and in the workplace. First of all, we find that God has prescribed roles for spouses that honor God. In the home, in our marriage, we want that to be a place where God is honored through our obedience first to Him, but in functioning in the structure that God has designed for the home. And He begins with, sorry ladies, you, the wives. And it says this, that As wives, you are to submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. He is talking about the place that a wife should have in the home that is fitting to the Lord. And we want to grasp what's being communicated in this. Now, before we get into the text where it talks about the role of submission, we have to talk about marriage itself. Today in our society, many of the concepts of marriage and gender are blurred. We live in a society that tells us that marriage is not between a man and a woman. The scripture is unambiguous about the fact that God says marriage is to be between a man and a woman. In fact, the word that is translated wife in this text is also translated woman. So the idea of gender takes society's idea and it imposes it on 
the institutions of marriage and gender identity. And that's not where we're to find our definition for what these things are. The Creator designed us with gender. The Creator designed marriage itself. And so as we come to this text, we can't read into it the concepts of a society around us that has changed its views. The viewpoint of God is consistent. The viewpoint of God is the one that really counts because in the final analysis, societies come and go. Cultures come and go, but God remains the same. So our understanding on these things has to be shaped and molded by what God says and not what people say. So that caveat starts our consideration of this text. When the Scripture shares with us, wives, submit to your husbands, again, many in our society would find this concept offensive. The idea of submission is often juxtaposed with the idea that submission devalues someone. That if a person is in a submission relationship, they're on the wrong end of the dominant submission spectrum. And they need to shift out of the submission aspect. What we find here, though, is clear direction from the Creator as to what He wants to have established in the home. And that is, within the home, if you have two people who are autonomous, two people who have absolute authority within the home, then what happens? You're jockeying for position. You cannot have a committee with two chairmen. You need to have structure and order in the home. And the order that God has designed is the order where the husband is in authority over the wife and the wife willingly submits to the husband. In fact, the way this is framed in the original language when it says wives submit to your husbands, it's the idea that submission isn't imposed on the wife. Submission is embraced by the wife. And she chooses to submit to the husband. And look at the last part of this 18th verse, as is fitting to the Lord. So here's the concept of the wife. The concept is this. God as creator has established the roles within the home and so, in submitting to my husband, I am not submitting to my husband. I am submitting to the pattern that God has set in to play. I am fulfilling what God has commanded me to do. God is my ultimate authority. So, if God in His Word has said that my role is to live in submission to my husband, then I will fulfill that as is fitting to the Lord. Now, Often, what we do when we look at this submission aspect is say, now, wait a minute. Isn't the Bible then saying that men are superior to women, that women are not equal to men? I want you to look at a couple of verses and see what God's Word says for itself about the equality of men and women as to their value to God and as to their uniqueness. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not saying as our culture that there are no differences between men and women. What this is saying is this, as far as God is concerned, our oneness in Christ gives us our value. That men and women are co-heirs, equals in Christ. But you can be equal and still have a difference in authority. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal. Each member of the Trinity is God. And yet, the Spirit willingly submits to the Son and the Father. And the Son willingly submits to the Father, co-equal and yet different authority levels. This is what happens in the home. Husband and wife are equal. As a matter of fact, the Scripture even tells husbands to view their wives as equals. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says this, and this, by the way, is the New Living Translation. I thought they did a good job on this verse. And it says this, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, and here it's talking about physical weakness, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. So the message to women, you are equal. But within that equality, God has built into the home, baked into it, a structure to where he has chosen to set the man as an authority in the home, final say, and wives are to willingly embrace the role of submission to the husband. Now, guys, you don't get off. The text goes on and talks about the proper way husbands should lovingly lead. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, the commands that we see here are pretty amazing for us as husbands. When it says, husbands, love your wives, the way this is framed in the original language, the command, and it is command, the command is this, keep on loving your wife. Don't be like the guy who, when you're courting her, I love you. I would cross the deepest sea, climb the highest mountain for my love. And then once you get married, I told her once I loved her, that's enough. You know? Not the idea. We are to be loving our wives. It is to be a consistent attitude, a consistent part of our our heart. We are to keep loving them. And love, according to the Word of God, of husband for wife, is to be a sacrificial love. In fact, Paul wrote this, Husbands, love your wives. Now, look at this, guys. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrificial love. So here's the idea. The wife lives in submission to the husband, but the husband doesn't go, (laughs) Now I have control. I'll do whatever I want. No. The husband looks at the wife and says, what are her needs? What are her desires? I love her. I want to provide these things for her. So in a decision, I don't look and say, hey, 
making a decision here, woman. Toe the line. First of all, I would wind up with a frying pan upside my head if I did that. (laughs) But secondly, is that being loving? Is that being sacrificial? Is that being the husband that God has called us to be? And I would say no. God is telling us that we as husbands have a responsibility just as the wife has the responsibility to submit to the husband. The husband has the responsibility to love the wife And that involves sacrifice. There's a warning, as a matter of fact, right at the end of this, and it's telling husbands not to be harsh with them. As husbands, we should never look and say, how can I make my wife's life more difficult? We should seek to minister to them. You know, in both of these relationships... God has called us into a stewardship role. Wives, you are the steward of your husband. And what God is revealing in His Word is husbands need significance. A lack of respect crushes a man. Wives, you need respect too, but you need the context of a relationship where you are deeply loved and you have the security of that loving relationship. And if you are devalued through harsh treatment, if you are told that you are not really that important, that crushes you. So God's solution is, within a Christian home, the two care for one another. In other words, we set ourselves aside, we look to what God has called us to do in His Word, And we minister to one another lovingly, obediently to what God has called us to do. So that's part of the authority that the Scripture talks about. This should be discharged with the greatest of care and gentleness. And really, both the husband's role and the wife's role is a further amplification of what we're called to in verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the outworking of this kind of behavior in the home. But then the text goes on, and after it talks about the place that we have in the home and the prescribed roles, it moves into parenting that honors Christ. And look at verse 20 as we come to this counsel from God's Word. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The structure within the home is not only that the father is the spiritual head of the home, the wife submits to the husband, but also the idea that children submit to father and mother. You know, there's a secret that I've learned, and it took me a while to get there, but my children when they're small children, and by the way, that's what the word children means in this text. 
When I have small children, they are not my friends. They are my children. I have a responsibility to be, at times, that unreasonable person who reigns them in and keeps them from doing things that will be harmful to them because I love them. I care about them. When I was in seminary, I took a counseling class from Dr. Larry Crabb, and he said this, there are two questions that children ask. Am I loved? And can I have my way all the time? The answer to the first question always has to be yes. Yes, you are loved. The answer to the second one is no. You can't have your way all the time. But we live in a society where there is confusion in this as well. We find that many, many parents misunderstand their role. They think that they're being oppressive. They think that somehow as they put boundaries around their children, that they're crushing them. Our role as parents is to guide, to lead, to put those boundaries around our children for their protection because they don't have the life experience or the wisdom to make those decisions for themselves. So we have that responsibility. We have to be there. We have to follow biblical examples of how we put those boundaries into place. Isn't it amazing, though? Now that I'm a grandparent, when your kids are young, you're great. You're the strongest, smartest, bestest in the whole world. Then, just about preteen or teen, you are an idiot. You know nothing. You are completely out of touch. What is wrong with you? Then, and I really like this part, when they get back into their 20s, as they move toward 30, you become progressively smarter. And they start to seek you for advice. And now that I have grandkids, I'm cool again with them too. So it's a great place to be. But what we need to understand is this. God has an authority design within the home And kids need to respect that authority because if we do not teach them the roles of authority within the home when they're children, they will grow up to be dysfunctional adults. And don't we see that in our society? The ideas of boundaries and structure and authority foreign to our society because we allow the inmates to run the asylum. And we need to be careful in that. Paul said this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What God is telling children is understand the structure Not that your parents have enforced on the home, but that God has designed in the home. And so your responsibility as a child is to follow the leadership of your parents as long as you are their child. And in honoring them, you honor the Lord. 
But then verse 21 goes on to talk about something else, and that is paternal responsibility to not embitter your children. Look at verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. You know what our responsibility as fathers is, not only to our wife, but to our kids? Don't be so oppressive that you embitter your children. What I see in Scripture really is balance. You want that loving environment, but love also looks at what is best. If all I do is enforce rules and have these prohibitive aspects of life that I'm communicating to my kids, they're going to become discouraged and think that life is just flat-out awful. But if all I do over here is, oh, that's okay, Johnny, what would you like to do? Go and do it, please. I'll cheer you on. If I do that, it's all skewed. It's out of whack. It's out of balance, right? What we need to do is balance between the two. I love you, and the reason that I can't allow you to do this is because I love you. And maybe someday you'll see that this isn't good for you. But for now, I have to make this call because I believe it's what's best. Now, they're not going to say, oh, Father, thank you. You know, that's not going to happen, right? But the outcome of letting them have their way all the time is even more disastrous. But we don't want to be so restrictive that we lose our kids. We are to bend their will, but not break their will. That's the idea as parents. There was a man in a previous church that I attended, had six kids. He was harsh. His favorite saying was, when I say jump, you ask how high on the way up. He loved to say that. And when I knew him, he was well into his 70s. His kids were well into adulthood with kids of their own. And out of the six kids, and this was a Christian home, out of the six kids, not one darkened the door of the church. Totally disinterested. Wanted nothing to do with it. Saw it as oppressive. God, I think, was trying to tell this brother... Don't be so harsh with your kids. And he stubbornly went on with the role of being oppressive and discouraging. They could never do anything right. And as a result, it cost him a relationship with his kids and grandkids because of where he was. Listen, our job as parents is not to discourage but to encourage. And that's something I think as believers we all have the responsibility for. In Ephesians 2.29 it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Dads and moms, we have a responsibility to be careful in what we say to our kids, to frame it in a way that builds them up rather than tears them down. You do not want to embitter your children and discourage them. Then we come to the last area of authority. Something that we 
all function within, unless you're self-employed, and then you're still working for somebody, just more bosses, right? And that is as an employee. Now, here, starting at verse 22, we find that Paul is talking about a system that was in place, the system of slavery. Within the Roman Empire, slavery was still in place, and it employed, and I'll use air quotes for employed, uh, more people than any other occupation. So, when the Scripture talks about slavery, it's not saying God condones slavery, but it is saying here is a human institution where many of you in this first century church find yourselves, so here's how you function. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are slaves this morning? It's outlawed, right? It's not a part of our society. But I think there are parallels between the authority structure within slavery and employment. Thankfully, if our position in employment is intolerable, we can move to a different employment. And we're blessed in that way. But look at what God's Word says to these slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly master in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, the first point that we take from this is, if I have an employer, one who is an authority over me, I have the responsibility of doing what I'm told. That's the idea. If my workplace has a structure, a hierarchy of authority, then as a Christian employee, I have the responsibility of honoring that system that's put into place. And I'm to do what I'm told. There is one caveat. If my employer asks me to do something that is forbidden in Scripture, against Scripture, then I need to stand my ground on the biblical principle. But in everything else, I'm to do what I'm told. And look at this part. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In other words, I'm not to kick back, put my feet up, put my arms behind my head and, you know, just take it easy, and then when I sense the boss might be coming, get to work. I'm to consistently give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And when I do this, I'm to do it with sincerity as unto the Lord. You know, even though my boss may not see me slacking off, the Lord does. And my work and that work ethic reflects on Him. So I want to be consistent. I want to work in a way that reflects well on the Lord. And I'm to worship Him through my work. Have you ever thought about that? When you are working, you are worshiping the Lord. He has put you in the position that you're in and your performance in that job reflects on Him. And that's exactly what worship is. Lifting up the name of Jesus. 
as a good employee, I am lifting up the name of Jesus. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not men. So my perspective in the workplace is I'm not working for such and such a company. I'm working for the Lord. So as I work, I will consider Jesus my boss. And I will work accordingly. That's the idea. And then, look at verse 24. Okay, if I'm working for God, my work is a reflection on Him. It is worship of Him. It goes on to say, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So in my workplace, what if I don't get recognized? What if people start to take advantage of me? Hey, he's a good worker. Let's give him the job that Joe Schmo over here doesn't want to do. He's slacking off. He'll carry the water for Joe. We can look at that and I can say, man, that's just not fair. I'm not being recognized for what I'm doing. Yes, you are. And it's an eternal recognition because it comes from the Lord who sees everything. It's discouraging when we get our props and our encouragements from men because it's always, what have you done for me lately? And they don't always see everything that goes on. But there's one who does, and that's God. So what it's saying here is, I'm working because I have received an inheritance from the Lord, and it's Him that I serve. So I'll work heartily as unto Him. And then there's this other part, verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Listen. There are times where you will be mistreated as an employee. Guess what? You can't always see to justice being done while you're on this earth and in this body. But there is one who sees to it, and that is the Lord. So we count on Him to make things right. We count on Him to work these things out. This is what God calls us to as Christian employees. Final part, verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 4. And it says this, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. The last bit of counsel is to those who are in authority over others, the employers. And you know what your responsibility is? You don't look and say, because I'm in charge, I can do anything I want to do. I can slip all of this stuff under the radar. I can serve myself and not those who are under my employ. Uh Uh-uh. You know what the Scripture says? I am to do what is right and fair. I'm to provide them with these things. Because here's the perspective. There's one who watches me who has greater authority than me, and that's the Creator. All of us have differing relationships where authority comes into play. Whether it's in the home or in the workplace, God has given us these 
areas of authority. As those who are called of God, His people, we want to live right. We want to live according to what God commands us to do in these texts. So what the Word of God is calling us all to is to understand the authority that I am under and respond to it accordingly. And if you are in authority over others, understand that position as well and handle it accordingly. May God teach us all to be better husbands, wives, children, employees, employers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us that we are to live in the way that this text calls us to. Teach us to be God-honoring in the way we conduct ourselves in our day-to-day -day lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.